Thank you, choir. Thank you for singing out there. That sound is wonderful. We lift it up to God as a congregation. And it is a pleasing aroma to Him, the Scripture says, a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord as we lift up our praise to Him, our sacrifices of praise. Well, it's been a wonderful weekend for us. We had a big wedding this weekend. Bonnie Williams married Marco Anacetti. And I've had some good food. I have been well fed. And uh, it, was, it was delightful to see everybody and gathered friends from all over the place. I hope you had a wonderful week. I've been speaking from the politics of the passion, you know. And today, I'm going to talk about a man named Pontius Pilate. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. The politics of the passion. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. The most important part of the Scripture... For the exposition of the gospel, the place where Paul focuses his greatest attention is the week of the Lord's passion and particularly his death. And so as we read about this last week of the Lord Jesus, we're reading the text of the greatest lessons ever taught and the truths that have consumed the interest of the church for all these generations and in fact, deeds and words that changed the course of history, shaped culture, and decided even the destiny of nations here in this text. Verse 28, John 18, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. So now, you remember, we have moved from the garden where Judas came, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. They arrested Jesus, took him to the high priest. They heard the charges there. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. He was going to be lifted up on a cross, a Roman kind of execution, not a stoning, as the Jews would have done. Pilate then went back inside the palace, verse 33, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea? Jesus asked him, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your own people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. 
What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No! Not him! Give us Barabbas! Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. I'm afraid I don't like Pontius Pilate very much. Do you know that every week millions of people, tens of millions of people all over the world recite his name, Pontius Pilate. Other than the Virgin Mary and the Trinity, it is the only name recorded in the Apostles' Creed. And what these millions of people say all over the world is that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. The one charge he really wished to avoid is his legacy in every generation throughout history and around the world. I want to avoid his mistakes. His end was not happy, Eusebius says. Last week, I talked about a man who betrayed Jesus and then went out and hung himself. And now we have Pilate, of whom Eusebius says, he fell out of favor under Emperor Caligula. And shortly after the crucifixion, took his own life. So we have two miserable examples of living life without justice or truth back to back in the account of the crucifixion. Now I have good news for you. Next week's message is about the crucifixion. I'm calling it the king without a country. It says on the cross, he's the king of the Jews. We're going to talk about that. And the politics of the passion will continue. And then on Easter, when I hope you'll bring your friends and your family, 
make sure you're here yourself. I'm going to talk about the theft without a thief. And the empty tomb that shook not only Jerusalem and the Roman governor, but shook the world. Today, we take a look at Pilate. And really, we're saying, Lord, don't let me end up like that. Don't let me be like Judas, who was familiar but not faithful, affectionate but not devoted. Don't let me end like Pilate. So it is a lesson in the negative. Help me not to make those mistakes. And so I read through the life of Pilate, which is recorded, or the interaction of Pilate with Jesus in the four Gospels. He's also mentioned in the book of Acts. And the Gospels are the main source of information we have about Pilate. Josephus, the Jewish historian, does mention Pontius Pilate. And in fact, there is a Pilate stone that was found in Caesarea Maritima, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea in Israel and probably the headquarters for Pilate when he was prefect of Judea. And it dates from that time period and it lists him as the prefect of Judea. There were folks who suspected that Pilate was an actual character in history when they were questioning the truth of the Gospels. And then this stone is discovered and it is now in the museum in Israel. But Pilate was indeed the prefect at this time as even the stone records. And the Gospel writers take four different angles at Pilate. John's is particularly interesting. And one of the things that I see in Pilate that I don't want to see in me is subjugating truth to politics. Lord, don't let that happen in me. Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And he describes truth as if it exists outside of you, outside of your mind and heart, so that you could get on the side of truth. You could be on the side of truth. I think Jesus would say to you, truth is not just what you think it is. It's not just true for you. What you really ought to think about doing, would, Jesus would say, is to get on the side of truth. Because truth isn't something that just exists in you and in your mind and heart. It exists outside of you. And that would be true, wouldn't it? If there was a creator God who made the world and a father God who made every human being on it and if we were each special creations of the father, and if the character and person of the Father were indeed the template for justice and truth in the universe, then truth would exist outside of you and you could get on its side. But Pilate is the cynic of the trial and execution of Jesus. And his response to Jesus is, what is truth? He uses his cynicism about truth to violate what he knows is true, which is this. 
I find no reason to charge this man. This man is innocent. That's how he understands the circumstances and the situation. Even in his heart and mind, that's truth. But it's also true, he's a servant of Rome. And when they cry out, we have no king but Caesar. If you don't take care of this man, you're not a friend to Caesar. His politics overcome his sense of what's right and wrong and fair and just. And he does what even in his heart he thinks is wrong. That happens over and over again all over the world when people in power begin to think it doesn't matter really what I do, how I decide these things, how I use my power. It doesn't really matter in the end. It comes to nothing. So I will advance myself. I will protect myself. And expediency and my own promotion will be my real rule. So people take bribes right here in our city and around our state, thinking to advance themselves. You mark it down. God hates a bribe. That's a direct quote. God hates a bribe. Why? Because it undercuts confidence in rule among men. Pilate subjugates truth to politics. He also punishes religious conviction. It may seem strange for you that a preacher would say, Lord, help me not punish religious conviction. But as a religious professional on this planet, I stand in a long line of people who, like the Jews of Jesus' day, got crossways with another person in their religion. There is a criminal in jail today. His name is Barabbas, and he has broken Roman law. Not only is he an insurrectionist, he's also a murderer, and by Roman law, he ought to hang on a tree. Jesus is neither a murderer nor an insurrectionist. He has not broken Roman law, but he is a heretic. And there are religious zealots in the world who like nothing better than to crucify, burn, hang, and destroy heretics. And so what happened on this day when Jesus was crucified is the leaders of the Jews got crossways with the man who was making religious statements and spiritual truths not in accord with what they thought best and they hung him up to die. And it happens in our world today. Heretics get burned and shot and hung. Lord, may this preacher 
never be involved in such a scandalous thing. It is sad to me to survey the history of the church of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus, for they have killed one another for lo these 1700 years. Catholics killing Protestants, Protestants killing Catholics, Anglicans killing Catholics, and Anglicans killing Protestants, Protestants killing Baptists. You survey the history of the church of Jesus Christ and it seems we never went to the trial of Jesus to see what went on there. Here is a man who for his religious conviction is executed. Let me talk to you. We're gathered in a Baptist church here. All right? As far as I know, Baptists historically for the last 400 years haven't organized any persecutions to kill heretics. Now, I could be wrong. And I assume there's some Baptists that have shot a few heretics. Okay? I, I suspect there probably are. But Baptists, historically, and I'm a Baptist by conviction, okay? I didn't start out as such. And I am a follower of Jesus more than anything, okay? But, but I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church here. We've been here nearly 170 years, so let me tell you something about Baptists. Historically, Baptists have been champions of religious liberty. And we supported the notion that there should be no religious test for office in this country. And that freedom of conscience undergirded all other freedoms. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly. And if you punish a man for what he thinks, you have done wrong. So Roger Williams, who was persecuted and thrown out of Plymouth Colony for what he believed, by his brothers who were Puritans, would have died in the wilderness had it not been for the savages that took him in. Made his way to Rhode Island. Established a colony where he said, we will not punish people here for their religious conviction. The sword and gun and threat of execution have never in the history of man been strong enough to make a true Christian. You've got to freely receive Christ as Savior. You can't coerce people into being Christians. And if some cleric somewhere gets a hold of the government well enough that the government will persecute a heretic for him, he pollutes the faith, which he says he is a part of. Because you can't make a Christian by pointing a gun at his head and saying, you believe in Jesus or you're a goner. That seems to be patently obvious. And yet we have people who are followers of Jesus in our day, and even Baptists, 
who want to restrict religious liberty and have the government tell us what is right and what is wrong in religion. Do you think Pilate has any competence to make that decision for these Jews? You think he knows the Jewish religion? Pilate is like practically all representatives of the state in all generations and places. He is neither neither competent to judge religion, nor should he stand in that place. The followers of Jesus sometimes succumb to the notion that the gospel is not strong enough. You know, we tried the gospel. We tried preaching and doing church and going out and evangelizing and loving people and discipling them, and the country's still a mess. And so we give up on the gospel and decide what we need is the governor. And if we can get the governor, then we can get the gospel going forward in our state or the president or some other politician. Don't do it. Don't give up on the gospel. What God wants to do is change people from the inside out. Say, preacher, are you saying politics is not important? People who know me know that's not what I'm saying. Politics is very important. We are very concerned that we have people of integrity in office. And it is a high and honored calling to be a judge or a congressman, or a senator, or a councilman. And I believe it is a divine calling. But when you get in it, do not overestimate your power. That's what Pilate does. Pilate is talking to Jesus, and Jesus won't get into a big discussion with him. And Pilate says... You better talk to me. Don't you know I've got power of life and death over you? This is in John 19. And Jesus says, you would have no power over me except that it's been given to you from above. Therefore, the Jews who brought me here are guilty of the greater sin. See, Pilate thinks he's in control, man. He's the man with power. He can do whatever he wants to. He can kill this Jew or spare him. You better talk to me. I'm the man here. Jesus paints for Pilate a bigger picture. He wants Pilate to take some steps back and look at the broader perspective and see things as they really are. He says, Pilate, You've got some power that's been given to you. It's delegated to you. It's come from above. Pilate, not only do you have delegated power, you're going to give an account one day for how you use it. You see, Pilate thinks he is judge and jury. But there's a God in heaven who delegates power and holds those accountable to whom he gives it. 
And so it is incumbent upon every person in public office, every person with authority over another human being, a businessman, a teacher, a clergyman, or anybody who's got an authority over another human being to realize that the power given them comes from God and they give an account one day for it. Jesus says, you be careful. Don't too many of you be teachers. Why? Because teachers give an account for what they teach. It scares Pilate. This saying of Jesus, when Jesus says, you've got delegated authority. There's God watching over this thing. He steps back for a minute and thinks, wait a minute. So I may be a player in a larger scene. And then he tries to get Jesus off. He does not want to be the fall guy here. But in the end, he discounts the kingdom of God. In the end, though, he is afraid. When he gets this broader perspective that there's a God in heaven who is judging him and in front of whom he will stand one day and give an account for what he has done, he gets afraid. Yeah, it troubles him. But not enough to bring a just verdict. In the end, the invisible kingdom, though it frightens him, is not as powerful as the visible kingdoms in Pilate's mind and heart. It's Rome that is the real power here. And Pilate cannot give weight to the invisible kingdom of God when the visible kingdom is staring right in his face. I want you to think about his dilemma for a minute because it's your dilemma too. You face this day after day. You have the realities of work and your responsibilities and the people who answer to you. And every day you deal with those visible realities. And sometimes it's easy to forget that in the performance of our duties and our relationships to people and how we handle them, we also will give an account. So the Apostle Paul says, when you show up at work, you do your work as unto God, not unto men. How can I do that? I live in a world of wood and stone and glass and steel and breathe in human bodies. And preacher, sometimes I think you live in another world of some kind. I mean, in the real world, this is how things work. In the real world, you throw Jesus under the bus to keep your standing with Rome. That's what you do in the real world. But Jesus, whom Pilate threw under the bus, said, Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. You want to be a Jesus person in your world? You want God to have full access to you so he can change the hearts of men and women?
Are you with Jesus on the idea that the kingdom of God can change the world? That the kingdom of God transforms the human heart? That people need this more than anything? Are you with him on this? Then you, as a judge, an employer, an administrator, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't make the mistake of discounting the kingdom of God. This is the basis on which we are judged. Now Pilate, the last thing he wants to do is answer for what happened to Jesus. And so he spends the entire trial of trying to avoid responsibility. You know, the first thing he says is, wait a minute, you guys have made a mistake. <laughs> this is a religious matter, not a political matter. Would you just take Jesus and judge him by your own laws? That was a good thing to say. And he should have stuck by his guns. But he really was doing it because he wanted to avoid responsibility for dealing with Jesus. When they throw Jesus back at him, he quizzes Jesus. And he learns that Jesus is from Galilee. He says, wait, wait, are you from Galilee? Yeah, I'm from, oh, good. Herod's in town, and that's his jurisdiction. I'm going to send you over to Herod, let him decide. And so he sends Jesus over to Herod. So Herod can decide what to do with Jesus. And Herod, who's a playboy, I wish I could have preached about him, you know. Here's a guy that has no backbone at all. And everything's a joke to him. He wants Jesus to perform some sign, you know. He wants him to do some tricks for him. And they just make fun of Jesus and send him back to Pilate. And once again, it ends up in the governor's lap. And finally, when the cries, crucify him, crucify him, get too loud and the pressure of Rome is too clear and he knows he's got to do this to protect his position, he has his servants bring out a basin of water. And in front of everybody, Pilate the governor, the prefect of Rome, puts his hands in the basin and washes his hands. And he says to the crowd, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. It's your responsibility. And so people have, since Pilate's day, tried to avoid making a decision about Jesus. But Pilate knew in the end it was up to him. When they called for Barabbas, Pilate says, What then? shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ and he knew it was him he had to decide what shall I do with Jesus this Easter season it would be good for everybody in the room to decide what you will do with Jesus.
who is called the Christ. There is one thing above all others that stands before us when we stand before God. And it is this. What did you do with Jesus? You say, why would that be such an important question to God? Because he sent his son, his one and only son. And this is his great expression of love. And not only did he send him to a reluctant and rejecting people, but he, God demonstrated his love in this way, that while we were going our own way, doing our own thing, living life outside the boundaries, he sent his son and Christ died for us. So the question of the ages and for every person in the room is what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? God has not left us options about saying he was good but not receiving him as Lord or giving him respect but not giving him our hearts. He said if you really do with Jesus what you must then he is Lord of all if you were to say today alright I receive Jesus and I want him in my life I want him to rule I want the kingdom of God to happen in me by placing my life under the lordship of Christ under the rule of God on this planet let thy kingdom come Lord right here right now I give my all to you then you would be placing in your yourself in the position where every human being will be one day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Bow with me, please. This is a good moment for, de for decision. It's, it's God's moment to have his spirit speak to your heart. Maybe you've been dealing with this for a while. Just where you are to submit yourself to the God who loves you and made you and sent his son to save you. And to say, Lord, I don't, I don't know all the answers, but I know you love me and I believe it that Jesus was your son sent to save me that he died on the cross for my sin and rose again the third day and I place my faith in him and I give my life to you Lord I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will draw us close to you help us to know that this is a great decision we must make and help us do it well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.